0: But do not expect to stay there long. Um, This week, we are studying technically in 1 Timothy one verse. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. That's it for tonight. Okay? For those of you that are like, oh, this will be done in two minutes, not quite. Okay? You'll see when we get there. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, we've been going through, for those of you that Maybe haven't been with us and you're visiting or you're um, able to be here. We've been going through the book of 1 Timothy and uh, we're looking at what instructions does God have for our church through Paul's instruction to Timothy. Timothy was a pastor that was planting churches with Paul and he instructed Timothy, hey, here's how you need to operate things in my absence. And so for us, we can read this and glean as a church How ought we to function as a church? And that's what we've been looking at. So in chapter 1, we see the greeting from Paul to Timothy, and he charges Timothy to protect the church's doctrine and devotion. And we see that play out in the book as it unfolds. So then we looked at chapter 2, and we saw our first instruction. As the church gathers together, first of all pray for all kinds of people without distinction because we serve a God who saves all kinds of people without distinction. And as it continues, we see men and women having different instructions, but it's all based around their holiness instead of their visible appearance or practice. So men, yes, pray lifting your hands, but do that in holiness without anger and quarreling. And women who profess godliness, that's great. Let it be shown in your godliness. And that's where your beauty comes from. So it's the heart behind our holiness in these things. And then we looked a little bit at the church. Well, how are men and women to act in the church? And we finished up chapter 2 on that. And so we're moving into chapter 3, but I don't want you to think of this as, okay, we're moving on to the next topic. It's actually still the same topic. So last week was, you don't get to see this, but the title was God's Ordering of the Church Part 1. So this week is God's Ordering of the Church Part 2. And it's going to continue to go. He is talking about... He started the conversation here in verse 11. He says, Let a woman let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's a man quiet. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here and you want um, some thoughts on that, come and grab me at some point. But the idea is that there's this role in the church where there is teaching and exercising authority. And he said the woman is not to occupy that role because of creation, God's design. And then he's going to continue talking about that role. He's going to continue into chapter 3. Here's what that role is. Here's what you call that role. And here is who else cannot also fill that role. It's not just that women can't fill that role. Most men can't fill that role. And we're going to talk about that kind of over the coming weeks. So chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read our passage and then we're going to break down a very small chunk of this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So we are going to just focus on three words here Office of overseer. So we've already started learning what this is, we just haven't called it this yet. Whenever he says, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority, Those two ideas, teaching and authority, that is a role in the church. And that's the role that we see here with overseer. And he's going to explain it, and we'll look at it later. But I want to stop because there's a lot of confusion in the church. There's a lot of different forms of church government. Uh, There's a lot of different positions in different churches. There's apostolic churches, churches that have apostles. And then our church, obviously, we don't have apostles, but we have a pastor, and then some churches have ministers. What's the difference? Some churches have elders or bishops or presbyters. Like what's what's to do with all of this? There's a lot of confusion. And I think that we can alleviate some of that confusion by just taking a look over the course of scripture at, well, how does scripture define these roles? What are these roles? So here's what I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and tell you today what my point's going to be so that you know what to look for as we unpack it. Today, we're going to look at the title overseer. What is an overseer? Does our church have an overseer? What does an overseer do? And those types of things. I'm going to give you three titles that I see in scripture that are synonyms. They mean the exact same thing. Just three different words. And I'm going to show you how in scripture we know they're the same. And then we're going to kind of unpack our findings and talk about well, how that plays out in the church, okay? Going to be kind of a technical um, session tonight, but stick with me. Uh, I know that you're going to get a lot of it out of it as I did. So we're going to be on this topic for a few weeks, depending on how it plays out, and we will start to work through chapter three a little bit more slowly than we've been going so far because this is such an important thing. So here's the three terms. If you're taking notes, great things to write down right here. The three terms that describe this one office in Scripture is overseer, Elder, pastor. Those are the three titles you'll see in Scripture. If you come across overseer, elder, pastor, all the exact same. Well, here, how do you know this? Okay, that's what we're going to talk about. All right. So the first word, overseer. Some of your translations might translate it as the word bishop. In the Greek, it's the same word. Two English words. Our language has changed over time. Overseer, bishop. Exact same thing, okay. And it's also where Episcopalians get their uh, the episcopate from. So here's the Greek word for this, and this is you'll see why this matters in a minute. I normally wouldn't do this to you. Overseer is episkopos, okay? Episkopos. That's where we get this Episcopalian from. And it's two words that are put together. Epi at the front is upon, and skopos is to look intently at, to examine, to to look hard at something. It's where we get the English word scope. Okay, So it's like you are looking upon something as though looking through a scope. Like if you were to put something under a magnifying glass to get a closer picture of how it's working. Think of like a scientist in a lab and they slide the little thing under and they look through the glass and then they're able to see what virus has infected the host or that sort of thing. That's the idea behind overseer. So based on that, the office of overseer is someone who looks intently upon and examines and inspects the church. Their job is to take the church and to look critically at at everything that the church does. That is their job to do that. That is not the job of everyone in the church, though we should all pay very close attention to what happens in our church. But there is specifically an office where this person, that's, that is what their gifting and their calling is to do, is to say, well, what all are we doing? Is this all right? I need to look real close and figure this out. Okay. So almost every time that this word, episkopos, is used in Scripture, it's used to describe an office or a position in church leadership. Two two exceptions. First of all, it's used twice when talking about Jesus visiting us at his first or second coming. There's an example where it says, "...upon that day of visitation, live your life so that those outsiders may have nothing bad to say about you on the day of visitation." That word visitation is episkopos. That's this idea of Jesus coming to visit and look intently at us. The other exception is it's used of Jesus, talking about Jesus as an overseer. We'll look at that in just a minute. So originally what happened was it was translated bishop, but as the church developed in the early centuries and the Catholic church started to develop, well, they kind of morphed how they used that. And suddenly bishop wasn't the pastor of a church anymore. It was like the bishop kind of Oversaw many churches. And then you have Archbishop adding in. And there's this whole hierarchy that was made. So over time, as we go to Scripture, we need another word. Because when we hear Bishop, we kind of instantly go to that idea. So Overseer kind of came on the scene because our languages have changed. And Overseer is, the, is what the Greek word means. It means to look at intently, to oversee. Okay? This word we see about nine times. So the first one, Episkopos. I promise this is going to pay off in a second. Second one, all right, is presbyteros. All right, this is elder. If you read in scripture where it says elder, that's presbyteros. It's where we get Presbyterian. So you're going to start seeing this Episcopalian. Ah, okay. Presbyterian. Ah, okay. You see denominations that grab one idea and then kind of use that to form their denomination. So this word is used to describe senior adults. Seriously, that's what it is. An elder, a senior adult in Israel. That's what it was describing. But more specifically, it's these elders who were elected to positions of authority in the community. So they're like really well-respected people of the community. Someone that they look to and they say, this is one of our elders. We need to listen to this man and what he has to say. Okay. So this term kind of bridges us with Israel. Israel had a council of elders, and they sat on the Sanhedrin. That was their ruling body. And then we see in the New Testament that now as these churches are being planted, we are to elect elders at our churches. And that comes up over and over again. We'll be looking at that over the coming weeks So Jesus, whenever he talks about the elders, it's always bad. The elders of Israel, the hypocrites that are doing these things. But then after that, when we get past the Gospels, the context is good, and it's really interesting. In every single church, multiple elders are elected per congregation. So every church has this group of people, these elders, that get together and make decisions for the church. Okay, So this one... Appears roughly sixty-five times, so we see this a whole lot more than this overseer. It's this idea of elder, okay. But there's one more, one more word. So we've got episkopos, presbyteros, and then the final one, the one we know, pastor, shepherd. This is the one we know. We're in a Baptist church. We got a pastor. We know we know this word. The Greek word here is poimen. Okay, guess how many times this word describes a church office in Scripture? One. One time. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It talks about how Paul gave the evangelists, the apostles, the evangelists, all the things. Then it gets to pastors and teachers. And kind of, we don't see it in the English, but those are kind of one term, pastor-teacher. This authoritative teaching is what it's talking about. That's the one time we see pastor. And every other time, it's literally shepherd, or Jesus uses it to talk about himself. I'm the good shepherd. Every single other time. However, the verb form of this happens several times. It talks about someone who pastors or shepherds a flock, taking care of and ruling over. So we've got all that out of the way so that these next three scriptures that we look at can make the point that I want to make to you tonight. Okay? We have to go through all of that. You'll see why in just a minute. That's the foundation. So how do we know that all these are the same thing? And if it's the same, why do we have different words and why is all of this important? Why did we spend however long it took us to go through that, to unpack that? Let's look at it together. Uh, Turn to Acts chapter 20. Verse. Um, we're going to look at verse 28 mostly, but we're going to have to refer back to verse 17. So Acts chapter 20. And if you can um, be prepared to look at verse 17 and verse 28, I'll show you why this is important. It's going to be really important for us to pay very careful attention to the words that we read here. So this first passage, Acts chapter 20, Paul is preparing to go to Jerusalem, basically to die. He knows that he's going to be arrested. He knows that it's going to be a terrible experience, and he's preparing the Ephesian elders here, the pastors there, he's preparing them for his departure. This is his farewell speech. So in verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. And he begins his speech right there. So important for us in 17, he calls the elders of the church. Now I want you to go down to verse 28. And this is the heart of his charge to these elders. What does he want these elders to do? Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So elders, presbyteros, are made overseers, episkopos, by the Holy Spirit, and they are charged to shepherd poimino, the flock poimen, which is the church of God. All of these describe the exact same thing: the elder, the overseer, bishop, whatever you call it, whatever your Bible translated as. It's the same office. And what's the charge? Shepherd the flock, oversee the flock, be the spiritual authority for the flock. All three words, exact same office. Um, flip over to the book of First Peter. We've got three main passages, so if you're worried that we're going to be in here for two hours, it's not the case. Our second passage is in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Okay, so this is another exhortation for elders. Okay, verse 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he's charging the elders as an elder. I'm an elder. I'm charging you elders to do this with me. Verse 2, what are they to do? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And he continues to go and give descriptions. But for our purposes, I exhort the elders, presbyteros, shepherd, poimino, the flock, poimion, exercising oversight, episkopeo. So, it's all the exact same thing. Final example, same book, back up to chapter 2, look at verse 25. 1 Peter 2:25. And I think this is my favorite example here. I, I appreciate the other two, but I love this. This is not talking about us. Okay? I'm going to back up to 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Here's our verse. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So every other place we see this office in the church, and now we see this used as as describing Jesus. Flip back over to chapter 5 and go down to verse 4. He does the same thing, a little bit different. 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Jesus is the chief shepherd and guardian, some of your translations, or overseer, that's the episkopos, but in 5.4, it says the chief shepherd. This is the only time this Greek word is used in all of the Bible. And it's not poimen, pastor. It's arch the ark pastor, the ultimate pastor over all of us. So all of these things are all pointing to there is an office in the church, and that office is to take care of the people of God in the same way that Christ takes care of. Of the church, So that's why we have all these different... Well, why do we have these three different main titles? Because Jesus himself does these things for us. And in our submission to Jesus, in our understanding as Jesus is my shepherd, that prepares me to relate in the church to the pastor in that same way. Not that the pastor is Jesus, But the pastor is an image-bearer of Jesus to the church. Just like the church is an image-bearer of Jesus to the world. Just like at creation, Adam and Eve are image-bearers to all creation. The pastor exercises an authority from God underneath God. And this runs very different than a lot of other denominations practice today. Some denominations teach that there is a man, the Pope, that when he sits down and speaks ex-cathedra, what he says is basically the word of God. And that's not what we see in Scripture. There is one chief shepherd. There's one chief pastor. That's Christ. That's it. The pastor's job is to, underneath Christ, say, Jesus, what do you have me to do? And then he is to exercise oversight. Okay, Jesus, I'm reading in your word. I understand. Let me look at the church now intently. The pastor's job is not to give a casual glance, everything seems okay, and then move on. The pastor's job is to pick apart. Say, are we technically doing that right? The closer I look, something doesn't seem... The pastor doesn't get to get away with Ah, well, that's insignificant. If we see it in here, but we don't see it in here, that's the pastor. That's the oversight. And that is a charge from God that that man has to fulfill. Now, obviously, that's on me right now. It's on Terry. And I would say any other pastor that your church says you are a pastor of our church... That goes to that person, whether or not they have senior in front of their name. And we'll talk about that a little bit more over the coming weeks. So, why the different words? Each provides us with a different picture of the same office. This oversight is administrative. This eldership is this spiritual teaching and direction. And the shepherding is caring for and protecting the body one way that you can think about it is the pastor as a shepherd is to have a heart for his people. The pastor as overseer is to have this head knowledge of the Bible and then to apply it to his context to make sure that things work right. The pastor as an elder is to establish a mechanism behind getting things done. I care for the people. I see what's wrong. I understand it. Now we need to do it. We need to exercise this authority in the church. This is what a pastor is. So moving forward, when we see overseer, elder, uh, in your Bible translations, you might see presbyter. If you see that, it's the same thing. You might see a bishop, depending on what your translation is. All of those, pastor, All of those are the same thing. That's the same office. It's Just pastor. We make it overly complicated, I think, sometimes to promote an idea that I don't think is entirely taught in Scripture, and I'll show you how right now. I think this explains why we have so many different churches that run such different ways right now. Many of you are probably familiar with, or you've at least heard the term Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Okay, These all come from these Greek words, and what's happened is over time, we've taken one idea and just blown it out of proportion. It's like a caricature. Me and my wife, for whenever we got married, we went on a cruise that was gifted to us for our honeymoon, and we went down to New Orleans, and it just happened to be... Was it the Jazz Festival? I think is what it was. Did not plan, like, married Saturday, we drive down, we're going to be departing on Sunday, and we go out and we're like, hey, let's go to the French Quarter and, you know, we can hang out. It was, it was packed. There were so many people, and we're like, what's going on? Oh, it's the Jazz Festival. Isn't that what you came for? No, (laughs) no, we didn't come for this. So while we're out there and all the people, they had people set up on the sidewalks and you know the statue people that paint themselves gray and then just stand there and you think they're a statue and then they scare you. And then you go up and they have people doing caricatures. And we have a caricature and I, we saw it whenever we were packing up. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, man, I really hope this isn't how I look because this is bad, like, you know, big ears and big nose and all those things. And we like looking at caricatures because it exaggerates some things, but then it kind of under-exaggerates other things. And it's funny, like, oh, look, you know, this is out of proportion. And I think that we've kind of become okay with things in the church being out of proportion because it's pleasing to look at. Or we think it works better. It's kind of nice having bigger ears. I can hear everything better. And we're okay with things being out of proportion. And that's what hap- what's happened with a lot of different churches when it comes to the offices of the church. So there's three specific types, and then I'll tell you what our church is. The first one is this Episcopalian. It's this idea that there's a hierarchy of people chosen in this church, and it's a top-down system. So you've got this archbishop up top who then elects these bishops underneath, and then each bishop has several churches where he elects the different pastors of those churches, and then those pastors pastor those churches. The people at the bottom in the churches have no say in those things. I mean, you can voice your opinion to one of the higher-ups, but if they disagree, they disagree. Is what it is. That's kind of the system there. It's a top-down system, and the power of authority rests in the archbishops and not in the local church. It's Episcopalian. Second one, Presbyterian. It's another hierarchy. But this one is chosen by individual churches. So this is somewhat of a bottom-up system in this way. The power of authority rests in the collection of churches. So if we were a Presbyterian church, we would elect to our church elders. That's the term they use for pastor. We would elect elders in our church. And then these elders would get together with other elders from other Presbyterian churches, and then they would make decisions that affect all of our churches. So whatever decision these elder boards, or even higher up, the Presbytery, whatever they decide, this assembly of all these elders, whatever they decide, impacts each individual Presbyterian church. Even if our church... Elders that disagreed with the decision. So that's why I say somewhat of a bottom up church. We elect our elders, but they have an equal voice with every other church's elder, period. Okay? So Episcopalian, Presbyterian, then there's congregational. This is what we are good old Southern Baptist. Congregational. This is completely autonomous. We own this church. This is your church. You've paid for this building. We own this. No one above us is going to come and say, hey, you know, because you're doing things this way, we're taking your building. That can happen in some denominations. Okay. No one's going to come and say, well, hey, you can't teach the way you've been teaching. No one can do that. We, we run ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're a congregational church. This is a truly bottom-up system. The power of authority rests in each individual local church. We possess the authority for our church, is what that means. There's no outside authority that can affect us unless we choose to submit to it. So people have said we had the Southern Baptist Convention recently and people have made comments before and, oh, well, I heard they passed this resolution. Did you hear what this resolution says? And did you hear what they said at the SBC? That doesn't actually change what we do here at all. We could choose at the drop of a hat to say, okay, we're not a part of the convention anymore. We're done. And there's no repercussion from that. The convention for us is a way to partner with like-minded churches and raise money together So we can send out missionaries into the world and take care of each other as churches. But at any single moment that we look at the SBC and say, something not right is happening here. And we say, we do not want to be affiliated with this anymore. There's no negative repercussion. We are a part of that by, we are voluntarily a part of that. We volunteer to be a part of that. That's how that works. Okay? So as there's decisions that are made at the SBC, and this may be becoming more relevant in in the coming weeks, as we see some decisions unfolding, we'll talk about that later, we have the authority ourselves as a congregation. You have elected a pastor or pastors for your church. The pastors get together and say, okay, we we need to pick hairs here. We need to dive in and to look intently at this and figure out what to do. And then we come to you and say, okay, church... This is what we believe we ought to do. And at the end of the day, guess who decides? Everybody in here. That's congregational. Okay? That's it. That's what our church is. So, our church is a congregational church. And next week, we're going to look at what, how do we see this in Scripture? Where do we see? Unfortunately, you can't go to the book of Second Opinions 317, oh, church government, great. And it has it lined out for it. It doesn't have it like that. But I do believe that you see this type of church in the the Bible, in Scripture, and I'm going to show you over the coming weeks, so that as we unpack Overseer, we can look at our church and say, okay, are we doing everything that we're seeing in Scripture? Hopefully we'll be able to say, yep, we're doing it, great. But what if we come across something and we recognize as a church... I don't see this in our church. Or I see something different in our church than what I see in Scripture. If that were to be the case, then I pray that we would all say, okay, Jesus, you were the chief shepherd. We trust you. Let's move forward. Good news is, a single pastor can't come in and say, this is what we're doing. We agree or we don't. okay? And then we're going to push forward together as a body of Christ. So that's what we're going to unpack is over the next several weeks, I hope that you make it a point to be here if you can. Um, it won't be nearly this technical. We had to kind of lay that groundwork this week to be able to do that. So for our purposes, though, this week to kind of close out, um, number one concern as we look at Scripture at overseers and our responsibility, we need to ask the question, how does the Bible present the church structure? And function. How should we structure ourselves as a church? And then how do we exercise that function? And then we need to do that. It's not just about what might work. It's not just about what seems to work best, but it's what the Bible says. Okay, that's what we're gonna be looking at. And this is all just an overview of pastor. So if you're taking notes and you want to have like a final definition Here is the clunky definition, then I'm going to give you a short and sweet definition. The pastor is the teaching authority of the church who guides the church with, I'm going to read it again, with oversight as a spiritual leader in subordination to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. The pastor is the teaching authority of the church who guides the church with oversight as a spiritual leader in subordination to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Here's the simple definition. Pastors are the image bearers of Christ to the church. They are the image bearers of Christ to the church in their conduct, in their teaching, in the seriousness with which they carry about their office. They are the image bearers of Christ to the church. If you want the clunky definition again, I'll have my paper up here. You can come get me afterwards. They rule with a delegated subordinate authority under Christ. Their authority in all things is Christ, who is the head of the church. I'm going to tell you what the pastor is not. The pastor is not the Baptist version of the Pope. The pastor is not the head honcho and what he says goes. That's not what the Bible presents the pastor as. But I've seen that in a lot of Baptist churches. That is not what the pastor is. The pastor is one of you. And his role of the body is different than your role of the body. But you were all collectively together, the church. And you've elected pastors to say, okay... These are the guys that are our image bearers who are going to lead us, but who are still accountable to us. If I preach something that's heresy, guess who has the authority to get me out of here? It's a perfect system. We shouldn't mess it up. Let's keep it like we see it in Scripture. Here's some things for us to think about as we close out. And we're going to look at things more in depth as we come in the the following weeks. But for today... Questions for us to consider. Are you submitting to Christ in your life? I think sometimes we fall into this trap where we say, okay, I go to First Baptist Church, Gina, so I need to go and submit to that pastor. And we kind of look to our pastor as Jesus. I'm not Jesus. If you're going to listen to one person or the other during the week, listen to Jesus and stop listening to me. I fell into this trap when I was younger. Right out of high school, I went into college, and Lance, my youth pastor, he was basically Jesus in my eyes. I wouldn't have ever said that, but he was. If I had a problem, you know where I went? I went to Lance. First thing, bar none. Every time. And what happened is God unfolded a series of events in my life where I realized, Lance is not Jesus. Why do I always go to him first? Jesus is our chief shepherd. Absolutely, come to me, but please don't come to me instead of Jesus. Are you submitting to Jesus in your life? Number two, are we submitting to Christ as a church? Operating the way that He instructs us to, emphasizing what He emphasizes, living in a way that honors Him. Number three, do we have a proper understanding and practice of the offices in the church? Are we doing things the right way? Number 4, are we putting unrealistic or unbiblical expectations upon different members of our body, whether it's pastor or deacon or church member? Are we putting unrealistic or unbiblical expectations upon members of the body, whether they're pastors, deacons, or church members. As we continue to study, I want to encourage you to be open to what we find in Scripture and to be wary of what we don't find in Scripture. And above all, I want to encourage you to submit to King Jesus, our chief shepherd and overseer. Amen? Let's pray. God, as we dive into these topics that you have given us in your word, I personally am just reminded, Father, of how little we actually know. But I thank you that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. I thank you that you have given us everything we need in your word. I thank you that you have made it to where All scripture being breathed out by you is profitable for training and rebuking and correcting and encouraging and instructing so that we may be complete and prepared for every good work. Father, I pray that you would make our hearts and our ears sensitive to your word. That we wouldn't just look over things, Father, but that we would come together as a body and say, are we submitting to King Jesus? I pray that you would protect our church from an improper understanding about what it means to be a church. I pray that you would cause our church to be an image bearer of you to the world. That you would send us leaders who would be image bearers of you to us as they lead our congregation. Especially as we search for a worship pastor, Father, we pray that you would begin preparing the heart of a man who is sold out to bearing your image to our congregation who is sold out to being nitpicky about what he has to do because he understands the importance and the significance about the job that he has been assigned. We thank you for Terry, that you have sent him to us to shepherd us. We thank you for the wisdom that you've given him, especially as he guides our students, even now being gone at summer camp thank you for Brother Craig and his leadership, Father, standing in the gap for us when we are in need, leading us to honor and exalt you every week through song. Father, I thank you that you've brought me here to this church to partner together with other like-minded believers as we seek to honor and glorify you in all things. Would you protect us from error, cause us to be faithful, Help us to be holy. Father, magnify your name in our church and in Gina. We love you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I had some technical stuff today.